Hi, this is Jean-Jacques Taylor, and you're listening to Jot Talk. This is a podcast where I talk about the Cowboys, the team I've covered as a beat writer, columnist, TV insider, and radio host for 28 years. I'll also talk about the NFL and the things I love, working out, streaming, food, and all things Dallas. My boy, Big Joe in the Big Rig, one of my oldest friends, produces the show and occasionally chimes in with his thoughts on the Cowboys. After all, he's a lifelong Cowboys fan, and he played high school, college, and semi-pro football. Welcome to Jock Talk, where sports is fluid. What's true today might not be true an hour, a day, or a month from now. I'm going to give you the truth straight, no chaser. Glad to have you aboard. Let's get it. Welcome, my friends, to episode 36 of Jock Talk. What's happening, everybody? I hope you are prepared to be entertained and dazzled for the next hour or so as me and Big Joe and the Big Rig get you caught up on what's going on with the Cowboys and a few other things. Um, I do like to tell y'all this before every show, especially since we're in the holiday season. My book, Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, makes a wonderful Christmas gift. Makes a great birthday gift, too, if you're born this time of year. It's, uh, I spent the uh, 2022 season with Deion on the sidelines, in the meeting rooms, in the locker rooms, and uh, everything you want to know about him as a coach and why he'll succeed or why some folks think he'll fail at Colorado is in the book, uh, Full Access. Um, this is a really quick read. It's a really good read. And uh, give it a look, see, uh, because there's a lot of insightful stuff in there. Um, we do like to tell you the show is always presented by Greening Law. And I hope you got this number punched in your phone, 972-934-8900. If you're ever involved in an accident and it's not your fault and you've been injured, you need to give Greening Law a call. Uh, because if you're going up against somebody else's insurance company, man, that thing could be this long, tedious, complicated uh, situation. And what you need to do is you need somebody who can walk you through it, somebody who can hold your hand, somebody who can tell you when to turn left, when to turn right, somebody who can, what is it I like to say, somebody who can answer the questions that you didn't even know were supposed to be asked. Um, that, to me, is, is what you want your law firm to do. Uh, and when you're doing that, all you got to do is punch in a number and say, hey, here's my situation. And if they bring you on as a client, I'm telling you, it's been a great day for you because all they want you to do is focus on rest and renewal. Get your body right. Get your mind right. Get back to the life that you knew before somebody wrecked it for you. And the way you do that is let them do all the heavy lifting for them. Uh, if you need a doctor's appointment, they can set those up for you. If you need... Uh, Specialists, they can set that up for you too. And what I like to tell folks is they don't collect any money. They don't get paid at all unless you get paid. I mean, what's a better deal than that? So you never have to wonder if they're grinding for you, if they're working for you. They are doing the best job they can do for you. So give Greening Law a call, 972-934-8900. If you've ever been involved in an injury, in an accident, you've gotten hurt, and it's because of somebody else's negligence. Now let me just ask you something, Doc. I was looking at a lot of college football this weekend, whole lot of college football. And I got to thinking, this is it, bro. This is it. Uh, the game is changing. It's not going to be what it once was. Now, I'm of a certain age, and that's cool. Nothing wrong with that. So I grew up, you know, in the age where you had the Pac-8 and the Big Ten. It was really 10, not like 27 teams like they got now. Uh, you had the Southwest Conference. Uh, you had the Big 8, not the Big 12. You had SMU running with the big boys. It didn't matter if they had the bag and they were buying players. 
but they were running with the big boys in the Southwest Conference. Arkansas was in the Southwest Conference. And just as I kind of accepted this whole new college football landscape with the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and the ACC and all of this stuff, man, I got to thinking this coming weekend is it, man, because next year, I mean, I don't know what to call it other than the wild, wild west, bro. Texas and OU going to the SEC. You got uh, Oregon and Washington somehow in the Big Ten. You got Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah going to the Big 12. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it's just wild, man, the college football land. Oh, you got Oregon State and Washington State, the last two teams in the Pac-12. They're the only teams in the Pac-12. They ain't got no conference. They got nowhere to go. So, I mean, is, is every game the conference championship? So, I mean, it's just uh, it's wild to me that college football has changed that much. There's nothing uh, we can really do about it. And um, in a way, it, uh, I'm not really – I didn't think I was much for nostalgia, but in a way I'm feeling kind of nostalgic, nostalgic about college football. You got any of that feeling? Yeah, as you should feel nostalgic because it's, it's crazy. I think it's, it's, for lack of a better word, I think it's stupid that Texas is moving to the SEC. I don't, I don't put them in the same same league with Georgia and Alabama. I think that's a bad move. I think you should have ruled the Big Twelve and 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 keep doing what you're doing. Well, I think it's. I mean, I don't think I know. It's it's all about money. It's yeah. all about TV, TV uh, rights and, and who can bring the most money to the table and everybody's tr- trying to strengthen themselves uh, so that they can be in the best position for themselves. And those, those who made that move and had foresight is why, you know, is why you make a move that, that gets you money and fills your coffers and it makes life better for you. And it ain't just about, I mean, the sports are really the last thing, really. It's really more about the money that you bring into your athletic department and, uh, and all of that because uh, uh, the – I mean, all these leagues were, were what? They were really based off of geography when they really made – which made sense. You know, yeah. that's why all the Big Ten teams are in the Midwest and the Pac-10 the Pac teams or the Pac-12 teams were what? All on the West Coast. And even when they added people back in the day – it made sense. You had people close to you uh, because you had the Pac-8 and then Arizona and Arizona State came in. Okay, that made sense. Uh, so, But now everybody's just jumping to where the most money is. Uh, and football is never really the issue, dog, because football is always going to survive because those teams have the biggest budgets. Those teams have, have the most money. It's really the smaller sports that suffer. Because, uh, right. you know, football team always going to be on the chartered flight. They always go in first class. Uh, and maybe if you have a big-time uh, men's basketball program or women's basketball program, they go first class. Everybody else, dog, they going commercial. They hitting on that bus. They taking them long rides. Yeah. Well, I, w- yeah. I would ask you this. How much more money does University of Texas need? I mean, it's, to me, it's kind of like you put the, the cart before the horse if you're putting money before athletics because their goal is to win a national championship, right, in football. That's what that's what they're pay, paying all the money for. And I don't see how you're going to get that done in the in the SEC. I think you're going to get beat up. 
But uh, my question is, how much more money do they need? I mean, there's no rich person who ever turned down more money. It just don't work like that. So is the question is is not how much do you need, it's how much can you make? Because that's what that's what, you know, that's what takes care of everything else. Um and so it's it's always about how much money they can make and uh you know, be I mean that's why college football is the arms race that it is right now where we used to have a hundred million dollar facility and then somebody put a waterfall inside their facility and so right. I gotta say, Hey Joe, I know you gave us twenty million dollars five years ago to to uh redo our facility, but man, Taylor State got a waterfall in theirs. And so, this kid. It's, so it's more about who can show off more than more more than who can win. I I, I get it with the facility race because Arkansas yeah. Arkansas got some of the best facilities you'll ever see, but they don't win nothing. No, I mean that just keep you in a race mm-hmm. in a conversation. I mean it's a uh, it's uh it's all driven by money and TV ratings, and that's um I mean that's really the bottom line. It's not uh, winning is not part of it. I mean why did this why did why did Texas A and M go to the SEC? It wasn't because they thought they were going to win, because they they couldn't win in the Big Twelve, and so you went to a tougher conference. It wasn't because you thought you could win. You thought it would be better for your brand, better for your athletic uh, program in general. You'd be able to recruit by saying, "Hey, we in the SEC, man. Texas is not. So come to the SEC where we play the best football." How did that work out for them? Hey, dog, they really. Not much different than they were in the Big 12. They're kind of a uh, pretty good, uh, I don't want to call them largely irrelevant, but they are on the national scene because they they, they haven't won. And, um, you know, it, it's a different thing for Texas because Texas has the ability to win. Whether they will or will not, we'll, be, we'll see. But they have the ability to win, and they've shown it in the past. A&M has never really shown it. You know, and then when you talk about the Big 10, like, what are Washington and Oregon doing in the Big Ten? I mean, every flight you take is like three and a half, four hours. And, again, it's not really about football because football is always going to be all right. It's about these other sports. And, you know, man, if you get away from the money, just talk about the sport. I just like, you know, I, I, I hate I, – I really consider myself kind of like a, a always up-to-date guy, meaning I don't really get so caught up in, well, things used to be like this, so why change? You know, if so, why have a cell phone? Landline works just fine. You know, why have a uh, computer? Let's just go to the library and look up everything. Um, so I'm always about change and evolution. But, dude, you know, college football seems like it needs – the tradition is what makes it great. And when you start chipping away at the tradition, you wonder – if the new traditions will be just as good and, and make you form just as much of a bond or will it chip away at why you loved the sport in the first place? And so I don't know because, you know, do we miss Oklahoma, Nebraska? Yeah. Yeah, you know? some of the greatest games ever played. I mean, is 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 Oklahoma, Nebraska. I mean, OU, o, OU, Texas OU. Well, they still don't. Well, I'm, I'm talking about the greatest rivalries. Is is Ohio State, Michigan? We just saw that. OU, right. Nebraska. Yeah, I'm, yeah. If you're a true football player, yeah. Me, yeah, I miss Nebraska. OU, yeah, I do. Yeah, but I'm, what I'm saying is, if Texas and Alabama are playing every year, that might become just as good a rivalry. And so the new rivalry may 
Yeah, you you yearn for the old one, but the new one is just as good. Maybe Oregon and Ohio State become some great rivalry. Uh, and what I mean is, like, when Penn State moved to the Big Ten, Penn State and Ohio State wasn't much of a rivalry. We didn't really think about Penn State. They show up in the Big Ten, they playing uh, for a championship or the right to play for a championship every year, and all of a sudden Penn State, Ohio State becomes a big game, and it becomes a rivalry. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to quantify it, but I don't know that I'm down with all this change. Like, I was trying to look it up. Like, I'm not even sure who is in the Big 12 next year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, who's in the Big 12? Like, Texas and Oklahoma are gone. You got uh, BYU coming in, Cincinnati, Houston, Central Florida coming in. So I'm just like, wow, I don't know how that works. But, again, it's about that money in those television markets because now you span from coast to coast. So it's, uh, it's a little weird as, as we come up with, uh, with these championship games this weekend. It just made me think. I, I kind of yearn for the good old days, but I hate to sound like get-off-my-lawn guy. But uh, speaking of that, as we talk about these championship games coming up, dog, uh, Texas, Oklahoma State, they playing for the Big 12 championship Saturday. Um, I would like to think Texas would win it. I would like to think that would propel Texas into the playoff. But I'm telling you, man, Oklahoma State is one of them aggravating, irritating teams you play. And they can I can see them easily wrecking um, Texas' season. What do you think? It's the Big 12, man. Anything can happen, man. Anything can happen. That's, that's what's crazy about down through the years. Big 12 is just it's all surprises. Uh, yeah, I agree with you with Oklahoma State. Well, they got the, uh, they got the running back from uh, Ulysses Trinity, who's just been killing folks lately. And, uh, and, of course, now I can't remember his name as I had my old man moment. Uh, but uh, he scored uh, four or five touchdowns against BYU. And, you know, when you got these superstar players, especially in college football, that's all it takes, man, is um, – one guy can really set the uh, set the tone and change that thing for you, if uh, if if you if you can't control it. And uh, be interesting to see. I think Texas is playing with a lot of confidence. Um, they know what's on the line. I think. Although, dog, I can't. I need to talk to somebody who's ver- more versed in the playoff than me to figure out why everybody just overlooks Texas. I mean, if you go twelve and one. And you beat Alabama by double digits on the road. I don't know why that doesn't. If we're talking about one lost teams, I don't know why that doesn't get you in. And apparently, people are like, especially if you're talking about Oregon being a one lost team. Um, you know, their common opponent is Texas Tech. Texas beat them by 50. And uh, I think Oregon needed overtime to beat them by a touchdown. So, seems to be some unusual bias toward Texas, but uh, I think it's a. Uh, it's a very interesting game. Oklahoma State's had a lot of success against Texas. Um, you know, Mike Gundy has always got offense. Uh, they play a different, you know, they play a wide open brand of ball. And uh, it's a very tricky game for Texas. And they just have to make sure that uh, they come out, set the tone, and, uh, and go win the game. Yeah, that's a lot of history of upsets in the Big 12 championship game. I can remember about two or three that is like, what? You know, Colorado, Texas, uh, 
uh, A&M, Kansas State. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot of it's a lot of history of upsets in there. And I, I wonder how is uh, how's Texas quarterback? Is he healthy, completely healthy now? Or what's going on with him? Well, I mean, I think it's like uh, – I mean, I think he's healthy enough to play. I mean, it's yeah. like any, any guy at this point of the year, you're not going to be 100%. Um, it's just a matter of, um, you know, are you, uh, are you good enough to play? And uh, I think he is right now. And, uh, you know, he play, I think he's getting better. You know, he missed three games, and so I think it's taking some time for him to, to, uh, to find a rhythm again and get back in shape. In terms, just not shape, but uh, speed of the game, feel it, get yeah. it, understand it all. If, uh, I was, if, go you ahead. Was, if you was a voter in the playoffs, who do you believe in more, Alabama or Texas? It's, it's just, I mean, Texas is, I don't know. Who do you believe in more? Who do I believe in more? That's what I'm saying because it's head to head. I mean, you, you know, I they. Mean, that's, I, I'm going to tell you this. I don't really like that question because here's why. Mm-hmm. When you say who do you believe in more, what you're really saying is, well, let me rephrase it. You, to me, when you say who do you believe in more, you're talking about history. You're not talking about this year. I'm talking about this year. I'm talking about this team right now. This team right now? Yeah. Who's the better uh, team, Alabama or Texas? Even though, even though Texas beat Alabama. that's what To me, well, that's then, what the voters are trying to do. But – What's the point of playing if you're gonna say if was a fifth? They played one team won, one team right, lost. Right. Like I could sit here and tell you, oh, I think Ohio State is better than Michigan. Well, well they lost. They had a chance to play. They had a chance right. to settle it. They lost. It don't matter why they lost or if this had happened or if the guy had blocked the one more second, he'd have completed the pass to Marvin Harrison and he'd have ran for a touchdown. Right. Hey. Well, I'm duh. just I'm just saying as 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 it. Um, Pertains to the bias against Texas, where it's like here we go, oh, yeah. with, here we go with oh, that yeah. that stuff again. Where it's like it's got to be some reason why that Texas not getting no respect. Yeah, I mean, some of it is, and I understand some of it. Uh, there's a thing Matt McLaren, uh, my boy, used to talk about it all the time. It's game control. You know, are you blowing people out, or are people hanging around and you beating them by three points? Like if if the NFL had a uh, had a tournament computerized thing, they'd be like, well, you know, Philadelphia Eagles don't have a lot of game control because they just win by three or four or five points, but at the end of the game, they win it. The Cowboys, oh, they got plenty of game control. They blow folks out all the time. And so, you know, that's what you end up talking about. But, you know, when you're talking about head-to-head, the bottom line is they won and uh, Alabama didn't. Well, the uh, SEC always get more pull. When it come to polls and stuff like that, because you have you've had SEC teams have two losses and be in the championship game. So you know that's just to me that's just a lot of you know they get a lot more pulled in the Big Twelve period. Yeah, I mean it's because the conference is more respected now, right? Uh, and so I get that. Uh, and so every I mean it's the same reason why Ohio State got in with a loss last year. Yep. You know, so it happens, and I'm not saying my people ain't been a, haven't been a beneficiary of that, but I just don't know how if Texas goes twelve and one, and uh, you know their one loss is to Oklahoma, uh, how they don't get in. Well, I think they should be in, but I'm just saying I was just playing devil's advocate to say, hey, you know, there's always somebody trying to get a Big Ten. I mean, get a SEC or somebody else. Something they just don't respect Texas. 
No, that's cool. I get it. Um, and, and that's why Texas needs to win and win convincingly if they can. And uh, Oklahoma State done won six of the last eight against Texas. And that's what I meant when I was yep. like, you know, it's not going to be, oh, it's Texas. Yeah, mark them down for the win and, and let's see what happens. It's, it's going to be a little more difficult than that. Uh, now, same thing. This uh, SEC championship game, Georgia has not been dominant this season. They've been winning, uh, but they haven't been dominating like they had been the previous two years. I mean, and so with Alabama, uh, Georgia, to me, uh, they're the better team. But, again, if Georgia loses by field goal to Alabama, there's going to be like, hey, they just lost by field goal. Put them in. And they're going to be one of those one-loss teams. And so it's – and that's why I think – I wasn't sure it would work out this way, but that's why the 12-team playoff is coming. It's going to be great because all these one-loss teams can get in there and we can, we can stop the argument. We can stop the debate. Now, some people would be like, the debate is what makes college football great. But I'm always like, can we just settle this thing on the field? If we're good enough, we're good enough. If you ain't good enough, then you ain't good enough. Uh, because a team like Alabama, everybody can look at Alabama and see that this is not as good a team as they've had over the years. Yet, they've only lost one game. And that one game was to a top team, top ten team. That can happen sometimes. You can play good and lose to a, to another good team. And so, should their whole season be wrecked because they lost one game to a good team? And same thing. And I say the same thing with Ohio State. Okay, you lost to the number two team in the country on the road by six points. There, I mean. You're right there with them. You just didn't win. Yet your season is wrecked and ruined. And that's the beauty of college football and the painful part of college football all at the same time. So, because every game matters. If you go to a playoff, the pain won't be as deep because you're like, oh, we're going to the playoff anyway, so we'll see them there. We'll get our revenge there. Um, It's just all good conversation is what makes college football great. Uh, You want the 14, you want the 12 team. Who what now? I said you want this. You like the playoff system where oh, it is, or oh no, I like I like I like the twelve. I like the twelve cause um, the TCU thing when they got in and then they got the crap kicked out of them. I don't think that happens. You know, you, you kind of you, if you got twelve, what is, what is, dare I say, the cream will rise to the top. You know, you right. you, you won't have that where you TCU jumped about two or three teams they probably shouldn't have. Right. So, yeah, I like the 12. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's college football. It's going to be another great weekend. Now, though, let's turn our attention to those Dallas Cowboys and Todd Archer brought to you each and every Wednesday by Smokey John's Barbecue. What up, bro? What's going on? Not much, man. Not much. Uh, it's, an, it's, a, it's a quick turnaround this week. This is the uh, time of year Todd lives for. You got three games, 12 days. <laughs> Lots gets decided. Your schedule's all thrown off uh, with the Cowboys. Today's Friday. Today, it's not Tuesday. It's Friday. 
Right. Today's Friday. Yesterday was like Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah, I mean, Thursday, things yeah. are it's all screwed up. But your Dallas Cowboys are playing good. Uh, they got an interesting game. I think it's an interesting game against Seattle. How do you uh, how do you see this? How do you feel about this team going into this game? I think they win. Um, I don't know if it'll be as decisive as every other home win that they've had. And that's probably just because at some point they have to play a close home game. <laughs> but I, I do think if if Seattle plays mistake-free on offense, meaning Geno doesn't turn it over, and they try and run the ball, I, I think they can keep this thing close and, and control the tempo of the game, honestly. And their run game is not really what it – what it was, you know, however many, you know, maybe even last year, but they still have guys that can hurt you uh, on the ground. And I realize they have DK Metcalf and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But um, I think they need to play it a, a smart way and try and uh, try to limit the Cowboys from getting on a roll early because we see what, what happens when they get up by 10, the game's over. It's just, it, there's, there's no coming back from that. Well, I, th- I think that's uh, – is that easier said than done? Oh, sure. Yeah. It's, everything's easier when we say it than it is to actually do it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just looking at you – know, you know, Parcells gave us that line, right? There are ways to win these games. And there's a way that Seattle wins this game, and I think that's the way they do it. I don't think they can come out and say, all right, let's put Geno Smith at harm, a, a guy who just got sacked six times last week, and chuck it all over the yard. I think they need to play it smart and, and – protect him and protect the game and, again, control the tempo of the game. Yeah, I think uh, – and, and I haven't seen the injury report yet. Is Kenneth Walker, who missed last week, does he look like he's going to play? Because he's uh, the key to their running game. Right. I, I don't know yeah, for the simple answer, I guess, right? Um, if – I'm going to see if I can find it here real quick. All right. Well, as you look for that, he's got 613 yards. He leads him in touchdowns with seven – Averaging four point one a carry, and uh, he's been really good since he came out of um, uh, Michigan State. <clears throat> but the uh, you know Seattle needs a win. They've lost two in a row. They've lost three out of four, and theirs is about the wild card because San Francisco is going to win the NFC West. And uh, so you know you're looking at what the classic. They're desperate for a win, so you're going to get a good shot from them. Uh, it's just a matter of whether they can do it. Uh, Geno Smith has fallen off a little bit from last year. Uh, he's got 12 TDs, eight interceptions, throwing for about 240 yards a game. Passer Kenneth rating. Walker was a DNP, by the way. All right, yeah. Uh, that means do not practice. Geno Smith, 88.2 rating. So he's he's uh, you know he's having a, I would call it a typical Geno Smith year as opposed to what he had last year when he was really really good. Uh, as far as your Cowboys, how do you feel about them in terms of? Uh, what they're doing on defense right now. I think that bland guy's pretty good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they might want to not throw. What, what's funny though, is like before the pick six, I, I, I sit next to Nick Eatman from the Cowboys website during the game. And I go, Nick, it seems like these guys are going at bland more than anybody has. And, and, and you know, they had some success against him, but boom, that one play and it just changes everything around. And I think that was their plan. Wasn't to throw it at the Ron bland. Their plan was get it out of Sam Howell's hands quickly against that pass rush, and and just the way the coverage was matching up, he was giving up you know short catches. I, I don't know if he gave up anything big at all, but um, 
you know, one interesting matchup this week is going to be uh, Micah against 41-year-old Jason Peters. Yeah. That would be interesting. Well, he, he, uh, he talked about that. Charlie Winnie gets each other a little bit in practice, right? Yeah, he said uh, Jason, not only did he go up against him in practice, but Jason uh, tried to help him out in terms of uh, techniques and, and, you know, how to attack tackles and, and all this sort of thing. Uh, my suspicion is, um, depending on how how they match up, Mike. I mean, that's an advantage, Micah. Just uh, young and athletic, and you can be an old line with a bunch of tricks. But you know, if you're going up against a young one, you know, at some point the young guy gets you. You normally. Um, speaking and, and, of, go ahead. No, well, more, one more thing on the defense and how Seattle has to play. You know, when Carolina ran the ball pretty good on the Cowboys. Washington ran the ball. Just I'm talking like per carry average, right? Um, and where's the Cowboys' weakness? It is their run defense. So why wouldn't you try and exploit exploit that and and go after those guys that way? Um, and a lot of it's dictated by what kind of game it becomes by what the Cowboys are doing offensively, and that gets into the complementary part that McCarthy talks about. But you know the Cowboys linebackers were as well as you know Demon Clark. There was restricts there. Like, I think he made every tackle. Last week against Washington, uh, Marquise Bell is doing a great job, but there's a reason why they have Shaq Leonard in the building today to potentially sign. They know that they need to, I want to say, fix the linebacker spot, but at least have options there available if something were to happen to those guys. All right, that's two good points you raised, and we'll, we'll tackle them both. Um, I think I every so. point I've made has been good. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> So far, I can't really disagree with you. I'm, I'm sure we'll come up with one. Uh, run defense, I'm like you. Like, I don't know that it's great. I just think the way that they jump on people, you don't get a chance to uh, to exploit it because you either feel like we can't stop them and so we really can't waste time running uh, or we're going to be behind by another touchdown. And so I think their style of play has, has protected their run defense. And I just think that's kind of what part of what they try to do every day. That wasn't a good point. You've said that before. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's look at it. the Cowboys giving up 1,200 yards rushing this year. Averaging teams averaging 4.1 yards per carry and eight rushing touchdowns. How many? Like, okay, of opposing quarterbacks, how many touchdowns have they thrown against the Cowboys? It's not. It's 14. It's easy to throw touchdowns than it is run for touchdowns in the way this game is being played. But like to me, again, I said it before, like that's the way you got to attack Dallas. And I think Dallas knows that's the way everybody wants to attack them. And if you're the Cowboys in this stretch, and we'll talk about what's coming up over these next five games, Philadelphia can run the ball. Miami can run the ball. Detroit can run the ball. Buffalo, Josh Allen can run the ball. And I think Josh Allen might go for a hundred on him, maybe uh, <laughs> with, with how quarterbacks have run against the Cowboys, you know, maybe early in the year or even last year. But, you know, that's going to be – that's not going to be their Achilles heel because you can only do so many things about it at this point in the season. But that's that was the issue coming into the season, and I don't know that they've answered that question this year because every game is 55 to 10. So <laughs> why would you run the ball? Yeah, and we're, we're, we're about to find out uh, over the next few weeks whether their run defense is significantly better. And it's good for them that Mozzie Smith – uh, for whatever he's going to contribute, has at least had three quarters of the season 
to kind of figure it out because, um, you know, at this point of the year, as they say in the college ranks, they're all sophomores now. They're, not, they're done being freshmen. Um, now, the, the other point, Deron Bland, where is he? And we had a spirited conversation about this yesterday. Where is he in the defensive player of the year conversation, do you think? Um, has to be in the mix. I don't know if I'd label him a favorite uh, by by any stretch. I would probably go Miles Garrett or T.J. Watt. Um, is he the defensive player of the year on his own team? You can make a case for Micah, can't you? Um, so, and I'm not going to – the dude's done something no one else in NFL history has done. So you're not <laughs> – you don't want to denigrate anything what he's done with these five pick sixes. I want to go back and look what was the time and the score of the game and when he did it because that that brings the value up, right? If it's you know the last game obviously it was thirty eight to ten I think when it, when he had his pick six. Now the Carolina game that was still a game at, at that point. You know Carolina the previous drive went down the field and drove on him. The Cowboys answered with touchdown and then he ends it the next play with the pick six against uh, Carolina. The, the Giants in Week One that was what their first or second. Touchdown of the game uh, in, in that one. Yeah, it was a second because I think they scored on special teams and defense before they scored on offense. Uh, right. So uh, he's in the mix, but I, I think there's too many guys ahead of him that, unless I guess if he gets two more of these things, <laughs> that I, I just think there are other. He's a second year, fifth round pick from Fresno State. I have a hard time believing, as much as I love my media brethren, that they're going to know much of anything about Deron Bland, and they're going to know more about Miles Garrett, number one pick in the draft, T.J. Watt, the guy who's won the award before, and even Michael Parsons. So, and I'm probably missing somebody else in the mix too. But those first two guys are the first two dudes that jumped to my head. What was no, your heated conversation? Uh, well, we we had it on the media mash on the uh, Dallas Cowboys radio yesterday. Uh, me, Clarence, and Saad, uh, Yusuf from the Athletic. And uh, we're just kicking around the same thoughts, but it's just like, you know, I think he got a big boost. Like, I don't know that he would get it right now, although, you know, when you do something that's, I mean, it's like if you set the sack record, you're probably going to get the defensive MVP. Um, So if he ends up with like 10 interceptions and he returns five or six for touchdowns, it's like, well, damn, dog. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um but the, I think the big thing was he got a big boost because he had that moment win on Turkey Day when everybody's watching. You, you're not just people, but other athletes, other players, other media. Everybody's watching those games because they ain't doing nothing else. Uh, so I think he got a huge boost from there. That's why he, I think it was on um, the NFL Network's NFL show the next day or the next couple of days. So he got a lot more uh, attention. And so if he can have another one of those – Maybe against Philadelphia, and they don't have to all be pick sixes. But you know, if you make a, if you intercept a pass against the Eagles and then you win it, and you have another one in a big moment that people see, uh, I think that may be enough to propel you into the conversation. But I think you're right when you say he's coming from such a attention deficit. Being, you know, I mean, he didn't even play the big time college, so it's not like people knew him from college. Right. Uh, you know, three years at Sacramento State. And then one year at Fresno State before getting to the league. So, uh, but what he's doing, 
is such a phenomenal thing because really the record was established in 1971. Other people have tied it, but right. it's lasted for 52 years before it's gotten broken. And let's be real, man. His record is probably going to last for 40 or 50 years just because it's it's so hard to do. I mean, think about it, man. It's, it's hard just to intercept a pass. I mean, what does the interception leader have most years, seven or eight? Um, so it's hard yeah. to just I mean, intercept. Diggs had 11 a couple of years ago. That was the most since Everson had 11 in 81, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and part of the reason is why. Once you get good, people quit throwing at you. <laughs> so yeah. you don't even have opportunities. And so what he's I, I, doing – go ahead. Well, to, to me, what what's funny about it, – it's the pick sixes are, you know, unbelievable, right? I mean, you, you don't really knock that. But his other numbers are really good uh, as well. I mean, he's given up oh, – don't hold me to it – like 22 catches for 230 yards this year. He's got – he's knocked down 13 other passes. Um, you know, he's – He's playing the position at a high level, not just pick six in the thing. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. in, in some of these stats, like uh, you know, I, I struggle to know what some of these things mean, but like the <laughs> expected completion rate percentage, yep, but it would come up with a whole bunch. Like it's not only so far like a negative number, it's like not even – fathomable uh, how how good that number is and and, and where he's where he's been uh and, and what he's been able to do this season so it's it's just it's even those numbers tell a story of how well he's playing not just the pick sixes um do you think that they uh i know Shaq leonard's got a visit with philadelphia later this week but you're in my building right now uh what do you he's scheduled what do you to have? have a visit isn't that how we should say it yeah, I was gonna say, what's your feel <laughs> on uh, how how he fits and what how badly they want him? I'm not one who usually says this, but I think you sign him just to keep him away from Philadelphians. And okay. and Jerry was on the fan today, and he said, "Look, there's not going to be a real big financial component to this thing because no one knows his health. You're not going to give him a signing bonus." Who knows, you know, maybe it's a practice squad spot first and then you add him to the 53, maybe put him right on the 53, and that's the big financial difference between paying a practice squad salary and a, and a regular season salary. Um, I, I would do it, and but I would also caution everybody to, to, to know that this isn't 2018 Leonard. When, when he and Van Der Esch were the two, two of the best linebackers in the league as rookies, um, that year, it, this is a, He's had some health issues. Uh, the, the Colts weren't playing him because maybe he didn't fit in the system as well as he had in the past. I don't really know, but his playing time was decreased, and he was about to be an inactive before they they let him go. And some of that is health related too. So, um, but I look at the Cowboys linebackers, and I think Demone Clark's doing well. I think Marquise Bell has been outstanding. Rashawn Evans has has a track record of success a former first round pick led the falcons in tackles tackles last year but what happens if one of those guys goes down no exactly then then who are you going to so i think there's a there's an insurance policy aspect to this maybe more than 
he's a guy that comes in and fixes the run defense issues that we were just talking about. Uh, but mostly, like, keep him away from Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, we can't go through here without uh, asking about Dak Prescott. He's uh, about to become a girl dad. But more importantly, uh, I-, I loved his uh, I loved his comment yesterday when uh, somebody asked him you about. You just want to swear. You just want to no. swear. That's all you want to do. You just want to swear. You just want to use his cuss word. That's all you're doing. I know. That's I've known you too long. No, no, because I was, you know, in a situation like that, I would just say, you know, Dak sat up there and was like, you know, I understand people say we haven't done this, we haven't done that, and I tell myself I haven't done poop. And so. He didn't uh, say poop. You know, you uh, want to say it. Yeah, he walked back. He walked back from that, didn't he? I mean, I don't See? mind saying that word. I say the twelve letter cuss yeah. word all the time. Yeah, he cuss so a lot on that. A him. simple, a simple four letter cuss word doesn't really bother me all that much. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I like the fact that uh, that he owned it and he didn't run from it. And he's just like, hey, man, I know what's up. Uh, what we're doing is great, but what we do in the playoffs is what people remember, and that's what counts. And I think if you know that and you understand it and you embrace it and don't run from it. I think that allows you to go ahead and go do what you do, whatever that is. Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm writing a story on Dak for Thursday for ESPN.com. There's a nice plug for you, Jacques. Um, oh, just about you. him being the MVP and what he, how these next five games allow him the chance to at least temporarily reset a narrative for him that he never wins big games, which is junk. He does. Uh, or, or he never plays well late in the season, which is junk. He does. Um, now he's not one of the biggest games. No, no duh. I mean, I mean, no cap. That's what the young folks say. Right. I mean, eh, that's. I'm more of a no duh guy, I guess. Um, because I, I don't want to cuss on your podcast. Um, That's okay, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) But. He walks a tightrope every week when he plays in games. Every every week, whether it's against a good team, a bad team, whatever team, because there's a segment of not only just Cowboy fans, but media or whatever, that the second he has a bad game or a substandard game, or even if he has a good game and the Cowboys lose, he will get knocked for it. That... There's nothing that – and the cackling just comes out. And so that that's the tightrope that he's walking on at the moment. He's playing the best football of his life over these last six games. 18 touchdowns, 73% of his passes, just two picks. Um, this is the best we've seen him play for the longest amount of time. And if they were to lose Thursday, what's the first thing everybody's going to say? Dex up. I knew it. Right. He, not ready. To, he, he's never going to be that guy, which I mean, so he's entered. We talked about this. What did we talk about three weeks or a month ago? How he's entered the Romo phase of his career where he can be really good like Romo was and at the highest passer rating in December and all that stuff. But everybody thought Tony just sucks when it matters most, and even though he had the most comebacks and Dax up there now, too. And the 400 yard gains, you got it. Maybe it's everybody says it's stat padding, but. If it was so easy, wouldn't everybody do it? Um, I, 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 and I think Dak understands, I, and I think he's understood it for a while. Maybe yesterday was one of the first times he articulated it where he said what he said, that it is all about what you're doing when you get to the playoffs. And 
you know, it's the the fact that he gets it, I think will help him get through whatever moment this turns into for the Cowboys in these next five games heading into the playoffs. Um, I think the last thing is, is there's a way for him to win the MVP. And uh, that's for them to, I was going to say, is you just have to win. And there's a way for them to win the division, but it requires them to do something that they haven't done in forever, which is put together a really lengthy win streak. Uh, because I don't think the Eagles, I think the most you can realistically expect the Eagles to lose is uh, four games. And one of those will be if it doesn't matter if they, if they uh, beat the Giants at the end of the year. Uh, so really, I'm saying they can't lose. I don't really see them losing more than three, which is really San Francisco and Dallas. It's possible next two weeks, yeah. right? But for the Cowboys, you know, and they're let's take it week by week. Um, you know, they really, to me, they got to win out if they want to win the division. And uh, but even if they don't, um, if they play well and they win, you know, five of the last six. And you go into the playoffs feeling good about yourself, and um, I think they can make some noise in the playoffs. But it's uh, you know for them, they just have to win and run their race, and you know let everything else figure itself out. Because Philadelphia, what's San, what's San Francisco's record? They're something. They're, they're eight and three. Okay. Yeah. So th- this is why, even if you don't win the division, if you're the Cowboys, you want to make San Francisco almost make sure San Francisco gets the number one seed. Right, because then in, in the divisional round of the playoffs, you would play as the fifth seed. Yeah, you would play. Wait a minute, how does that work, Josh? No, you you want to. You don't want to play San Francisco until you get to the NFC title game. Right, you don't that? mind playing. Yeah, it doesn't make sense because Philadelphia's so good, but you don't mind playing Philadelphia again. You're right. like, we can hang with them. Even up there, the I don't think they would mind it. Yeah. No, no, no. They'd be like, we've been to the link before, this, that, and the other thing. We we know we can beat them. We don't have any issue in our mind getting prepared to beat them or wondering whether we can beat them. Uh, their whole mindset would be different. So I don't think they mind playing Philadelphia. And then if the season goes as we expect it to go and each one has won on their home field, you know, you just go up there and say, hey, let's, let's see where it goes. Um, so, no, I think you're right. I think they want to settle into the fifth spot. If they're not going to win the division, but but the key is to be playing well going into December, which means to me, uh, yeah, you can drop one of these and you can drop the last one if it doesn't mean anything. But out of these next uh, this next set of games, you know, you still need to only drop one, and it doesn't need to be Philly. <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, it can't. It can't be Philly. Yeah, it could be Miami or it could be Buffalo if you got to drop one, um, but. You know, uh, the main thing is they got to win and continue to put pressure on Philadelphia. And then, uh, you know, when you win, man, everything else just takes care of itself. So it's go time. It's the playoffs. And, um, you know, the playoffs have really already started to me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, and and I think they won't ever say it, but I think the players kind of know it too. Because they're going to give you the – we're just focused on Seattle. We don't even know who we play next. Garbage. You know it's the Eagles. Like, what are we doing here? Right, but that's why that's why I want to see I want to see them come. Like, what do we say if they blow the Eagles out? I mean, if they blow the Seahawks out, they did what they were supposed to do, right? Well, well see, I would be like, damn, Seattle's actually a pretty good team. I would be like, I don't expect them to blow. I mean, they're not. 
they're not one of the worst teams in the league, which is who they've – well, you know, I wouldn't, I'm not sure I would say Washington was one of the worst teams. The Giants are the worst team. But uh, I don't know. I don't expect them to beat Seattle by 20. Uh, I mean, that's such a big number in the NFL. Uh, before I let you go, I promise. Uh, okay. since, you grew up, since you grew up in Boston, what do you make oh, of boy. Belichick in this 2-9 and nine thing that he's putting together out there and this absurdity at quarterback? Uh, um, okay, I, let me say this first. I grew up there. I was not a Patriots fan. They were they were so bad when I was growing up. I was not. We didn't get to see a lot of their home games because they didn't sell them out. I was a Giants fan mostly because my dad was a Giants fan. So he grew up in New York, so All taking right. that out out of it. Like so what do I make it? I now I have a bunch of friends that are season ticket holders and been season ticket holders for the last almost thirty years. Um, and I've told them a hundred times during this run that they've had, you guys don't understand how lucky you are. You're just spoiled. You don't understand it. You all couldn't even spell football before the <laughs> Patriots got onto this run. Like, and now right. you think you're experts. Um, now they're experiencing what a lot of other fan bases and teams have, have had to go through um, in the last, well, since Brady left. Um, the I don't know the whole quarterback thing. I, Mike Reese covers the Patriots for uh, ESPN, and I sent him a text last week ago. He should start Will Greer because you know Matt Jones can't play. You know deep in your heart Bailey Zappi can't play. Right. See if Will Greer can play, and then they ended up cutting Will Greer at the end of the end of the week last week. Like, I don't. Th- I, I have a hard time imagining Bill Belichick anywhere else but New England because it's been so long. Right. But I just think the way – how bad it's been up there this year and, and that that he will be coaching somewhere else next year. Maybe it's Washington. Maybe it's the Chargers. Maybe it's whatever. But my friends of the season ticket holders, good luck to you because now you're going to be in that – now you're going back to what the Patriots were before Belichick arrived. And I well, let me change that. Before Parcells arrived because Parcells is right. the one that kind of kicked off that whole thing up there. Dude, they're about to they're about to uh, and they're about to go through what they went through before Brady, which is you're on that quarterback carousel now, and bro. Well, they had it, they had Bledsoe. They weren't on a kid, so and they had just paid Bledsoe a hundred million dollars. So right, that was their guy, and that they, they got. Well, let's be honest, they all got lucky with Brady. Right, but but <laughs> now, now you need to get lucky again. But think about it. What I'm saying is they're on that carousel. For the first 35 years of the history of the organization with Jim Plunkett and Steve Grogan being their best two quarterbacks before uh, Bledsoe and then Brady. But now you're back on it like you don't know when it stops. You don't know when you get your guy. It could be in a couple years or it could be another 30 years, bro. You just don't know. Look at this year's draft class, right, of the rookies that got taken early, you know, Stroud should have been the number one guy, clearly now, right? So right. if you're the Patriots and you take one of, let's say, Caleb Williams, Drake May, pick me out a couple other quarterbacks that will be somehow get into that mix uh, for a top ten pick where the Patriots or a top five pick where the Patriots be picking, the odds of you picking the wrong guy are just as are probably greater than you actually picking the right guy. No, absolutely, and that's the problem, and that's why it's so hard to do, and that's why you don't want to be on that carousel because 
you just you just never know, man. Because uh, you're right. Frank Reich's got fired because I'm sure David Tepper's looking at Houston going, so we could have picked this guy. He single-handedly lifted their franchise. Their best receiver, some guy we never heard of, uh, Tank Dell in the third round. But they're actually winning games. They're competing for a playoff spot. He's throwing for 300 yards every week. Looks like he's the real deal. And here we are with our guy who doesn't even look like an NFL quarterback, and we're struggling, can't complete pass, can't do anything. You're gone. And now, so, conspiracy theorists will tell you that David Tepper told them to take Bryce Young and Frank Reich wanted to take C.J. Stroud. Just oh, saying. Oh, I'm not disagreeing. And even if that happened, Tepper would So be Tepper like, can't be saying that one because he, if he – If he did it, he'd if be he like, If he tilted well, the scale, then – Know how these guys are, man. It's like, well, you shouldn't have let me talk you into that. Yeah, sure. You're the boss. Let me tell you, <laughs> you're wrong, boss. Yeah. So anyway, that's uh, we appreciate you, man. That's our weekly visit with Todd. That always goes over the limit uh, because he all his points are so good. <laughs> and uh, I, I, well, I don't know when I'll see you, but I'll talk to you soon, bro. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right, man. Thanks. See you. Todd Archer brought to you each and every Wednesday by Smokey John's Barbecue right there in uh, 1820 West Mockingbird, home of the Jam Session Bowl. One of these days real soon. See, it could have been this week. I don't know. What's your schedule like this week, man? You available? Yeah, Thursday. Yeah. See, the Cowboys play on Thursday. I don't know if that's going to work. Okay. Uh, but maybe I'm available. Maybe I'm available right now. Okay, well, we're doing the show right now, so I can't get out there. Oh, so, uh, but Thursday might work. It might come out before the game, drop it off, and then leave before traffic starts to build up. That might be a better plan. I might, I might really like that plan. I, let's, let's try to put that plan into action. Uh, you want to, you want to, you want to actually go over there Thursday? I'm just trying to be. I'm, I'm, you want to drive over here, and then I'll drive you over there. I'm just here so I don't get fined. You, <laughs> you accused me the other day of messing up your doggone commercial. So uh, uh, go ahead, do what you're gonna do, because I'm not trying to say nothing. You understand? All right, so maybe maybe Big Joe drive over to Dallas, and then we'll drive over to uh, uh, Smokey John's on Thursday. See, yeah, I, I, I like that idea, right. and then we'll get him the jam session bowl. Maybe we even seen. Yes, I like that, but the jam session bowl. It's a mac and cheese base or a mashed potato base. Your choice out of two out of five smoked meats. Uh, Joe likes to go with the double uh, double brisket. I think that's what he would roll with. Yep. I like the brisket and the sausage combo. Uh, and then everything you find on the loaded baked potato, man. Bacon bits, chives, butter, sour cream, cheese. And then they either drench it with sauce or drizzle it with sauce. It's uh, it's fantastic. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's delicious. It's enough for two easy. You got a little shorty that's five or six. Three of y'all can eat off of it. Um, you know, it's fantastic. If you want Smokey John's in your life more immediately than that, you can always go to SmokeyJohns.com, go to the marketplace, click on it, get the sauce or the rub sent to your house. Or you can hop in the car and drive to an HEB, get the sauce or the rub right there at HEB. They got them in Burleson, Waxahachie. Uh, McKinney, you know, find a uh, plain Frisco, find an HEB near you. Smokey John's is on the shelf. It's to live for. You need some in your life. Smokey John's barbecue. They bring us Todd Archer each and every Wednesday, and they bring us Clarence E. Hill Jr. The E stands for everything he says is right on uh, each and every Friday. 
Or every uh, now and then I agree with his ass, one or the other. Yeah, that too. <laughs> that Smokey John's barbecue. Um You know uh, what? Check, I want what? I, I want to try that uh they got some stuff called Trail Aid. I want to try that. That that looked pretty good. What is that? It's like a drink they have over there. The Smokey uh, John's? Smokey John's, yes. You yeah. you been looking at the menu, dog? Nah, I looked at your Facebook and uh Oh, okay. That 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 doggone trail aid looked pretty good. Right, I think man, it said for a limited time. I'm not sure, but they got like a boot you can drink out of. I don't I like that, but the trail aid looked pretty good. It looked Right. Well, hey man, get up and uh, roll, roll on through. Nah, you supposed to be Thursday, bringing man. it this way. I mean, I, I could do that. Supposed I just... to be having nice me coming to get it. No, right, no, nah, it was just you coming downtown, and then we drive the other way. Nobody going downtown. All right, man, I, I'll bring it out there to you. Then, Roger man. that. Golly. Yep. Uh Let's go to the block, man. To the block. I like the block. <laughs> yeah. Um, wait, so... wait, wait, wait. Yes. You got to bring back whispers, dog. We ain't had no whispers in a minute. Uh, I've got some whispers uh, on Thursday. You know, it takes. Yeah. You it's know, been not, a not, not that you've gone that way. Yeah. You know, to get whispers, you have to go out to the star. Right. And you have to collect the information. Right. Well, when they go through this Thanksgiving Day schedule, their schedule is all jacked up and changed. Ah, and okay. it's, it's hard to get out there and. Uh, Get the kind of information I need Because right. you just can't walk up While everybody is there and get it Right So you got to move in the shadows Yeah, yeah since, you said, since you said uh, Around the block was one of my It is one of my favorites But Whispers from the Star That's why I was That's my point I was making That's that's yeah. one of my favorites So I kind of missed it It's all good Nah I got some Thursday Alright Look forward uh, to it Yeah Alright It's all good So uh, I've been I've been uh I've been I've been cheating. I've been looking at some of the Sopranos and the Wire all at the same time. So, uh, you know, I told y'all we was going through uh, uh, the Wire because something triggered me. Oh, I saw that thing, and uh, it made me start looking at the Wire. The clip, uh, yeah. that clip, and it it turned me on to the Wire. Okay. And so, uh, yes, because I've already seen it once, but. You know, this time, um, when you're looking at it, if, if you've seen it again, I just think it's more subtleties. Like, I really didn't like season two of The Wire. It's on the dock and all of that. Well, dog, now that I understand The Wire, season two is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty good because not only is, you know, you got the storyline with the docks and stuff, but they still running drugs in the city. <laughs> yeah. That's when Brother Muzon gets introduced. That's when uh, D'Angelo gets murdered. Cheese. Yeah, Cheese shows up. Prop Joe shows up. I mean, so it's uh, it's actually a pretty interesting season. And uh, what's that? And, you know, man, sometimes you get caught up in looking at the show. And you just have to give your props to people in terms of the performance that they put on. Um... Uh, and when you're talking about Ziggy, ain't that his name? Yep. That dude, like, I ain't seen Ziggy before, and I ain't seen Ziggy since. That dude, to me, put on a hell of a performance. Uh, were you down with Ziggy? 
Yeah, he was crazy as hell. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, that was a great. Yeah, yeah, I'm down with that. I'm not down with his, that character, but the performance was great. Oh, the performance was fantastic, man. Because his, his cousin too, the guy uh, that played his cousin too. Yeah, his it was. Um, okay, let's do this for people who even haven't seen it, or haven't seen it in a long time. Ziggy, dog, it took me almost the whole uh, the whole season to figure out that Ziggy was the Doc guy's son. Oh yeah, yeah. How did yeah. you, okay, you take you that? I take it that long because I, ain't, you know, I let me be honest with y'all. I be watching it, but you know I me. Mean? I got ADD. I be yeah, multitasking while I'm watching stuff. it. Yeah, that happens. And so yeah. sometimes you miss some of the subtleties. What's the doc guy's name? Uh, the boss. Yeah, oh, Lee, I can't remember. Okay, normally I get cussed out for that. Well, uh, what I can't remember. He not. He not. He not. Uh, I don't know. I've seen that dude in so many HBO shows. They use he's they use he's one of the great in. he's one of the great supporting cat. Yeah, what do you call he's not the A list guy, but he yeah. always on the B list. He always keep a job now. Yeah, he's a character uh, actor or whatever you want to call it. He uh, yeah. he was in True Blood too. Yeah, damn, was he? Yep. Don't make me go back there. I ain't trying to do all of that. Yeah. Well, you see one, you see him in one oh. show, they in other show. All right, here it is, Sabatka. Sabatka. There you go. So. There you go. So Ziggy is Sabatka's son, and Ziggy is just off the chain. He's just a little skinny dude, yeah. And he, you know, he got these uh, inferiority complexes. So I always think somebody messing with him, and then he got these delusions of grandeur. So he always got these get rich quick schemes, and he's a drug addict. But the dude played the role so good, man, because he seems skittish and just off the chain and off the rails all the time, and it's just a, uh, and he's always doing something to get in trouble. And uh, so anyway, it was just a uh, it was just a great performance to me yeah. from somebody who, like I said, I ain't thought of before, and I don't really remember seeing him in nothing ever nah. ever after that. Nah. I haven't seen him in anything either. Uh, and I think the other thing is, season two sets up for just what a snake Stringer Bell is. And the interesting thing about Stringer is he puts he's, he always wants to set himself up as a smart guy. And this uh, this guy who uh, you know knows everything and is more like what's the word I'm looking for? He wants to act like he's better than he really is, and he's sophisticated, and he's this and he's that. And he really just uh, I mean he, he's the worst kind of dude, man. At least Boxdale is in your face, and you know what? This is who I am. This is what I'm all about. But Stringer is like the sneakiest little bastard around, man. And so it's a. Uh, to watch his evolution really start, and you start to figure out who he is and what he's all about. Oh, it play out like uh, that, yeah. Because at first you think it's two homeboys. Yeah. You know, and then, yeah, Stringer turned out to be the snake in every way. Uh, every way, dog. Prop, Prop Joe. Prop Joe was introduced pretty much, yeah. too. And uh, he turned out to be that way, too. Both of them guys was terrible. <laughs> but the reason why the wire is good is... Um, you can actually see some of the humanity in them before they really turn all the way. And you can see how in a different set of circumstances, when they weren't in the game, how life could have changed for them. Because they had skills that didn't, you know, didn't necessarily have to keep them in the game. But that's, that's just how, kind of how it ended up. I think Stringer never had any humanity at all. Never. Not, no, not one scene he was in. That Damn. Guy. No, not one. Well, he this took, is how he I've... took D'Angelo's girl. 
He got D'Angelo. He killed D'Angelo. You know, he ratted on his boy, got his boy arrested. <laughs> he, he, he he did that thing to uh, Omar's, Omar's boy. Right. And then blamed it on Brother Muzan. Ah, that dude never... Here's the humanity, man. The humanity part is he's trying to, and it doesn't matter what he's trying to bet himself to be a better drug dealer or to set himself up after the drug game, but the humanity was he had the intelligence and the drive to go, oh, I need to go to school and do this, that, and that. And if he was in a different environment, maybe he wouldn't have been such a snake and he could have used those, that drive and determination to really do something. To really own yeah. a real ink shop, a real print shop, as opposed to running around killing folks. Yeah. But his mind was so jacked up by then, he couldn't get past that. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's, uh, that's why yeah. The Wire is great. Cause we talk, is. I mean, you could go through all these characters and find things about them and really, really set them off. Well, the whole uh, conversation that is set off, that we're going to agree to disagree on String of Bells, that's, that's, that's oh, the best yeah. part about it, yeah. That's what makes yeah, it we could, uh, you know, we're running tight for time. Otherwise, we could talk about string of bell for another twenty minutes. Yeah, easy. Probably got, for another hour. He got what he was supposed to get. Dog, he got it. <laughs> That's the day I fell in love with the wire. The other stuff yeah. was cool. Yeah, but day he looked up and they got him. That's season three. We'll talk about that in a week or two. I see. Uh, I that, can't. I see. I can't do nothing to change y'all's mind. <laughs> so let's get it on. <laughs> yeah. Man. Now he did try though. So yeah, yeah, I can't do nothing yeah. else to change y'all's mind. I, <laughs> I kind of said that a couple of times at work when I got rolled up. I guess I can't do nothing else. Yeah, I'm gonna quote String of Bell. I can't do nothing else to change y'all's mind. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, let me switch real quickly to uh, uh, the Sopranos. I'm trying the Sopranos. If you if you watch The Wire, and The Wire is a slow, methodical show, the Sopranos to me is equally slow. And so I kind of lost interest for a minute. Uh, but then, did you, I'm sorry, man. Did you see The Sopranos? Yeah. All right. Tony's mama showed up, and I'm like, you might be the worst person in the world. And I see why he sit in a psychiatrist's chair every week. Because his mama is a piece of work. She do a great job with that role. Yeah, her and uh, Viola Davis, Antoine Fisher's mama, two worst mamas in the history of movies. <laughs> Yes. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Uh, but the line of the Sopranos for me so far <laughs> was when Tony said, uh, "Cunnilingus and psychiatry got us to this point," and I just started—I couldn't stop laughing, man. Yeah, I'm like, when the, when whoever wrote that line wrote that down, they must have stopped, had a drink, high fived themselves, and said, "I did the damn thing right here. I'm gonna go have me a cigar and take the rest of the day off," because uh, that's a great line. I do like the random killing. I like the uh, the sudden violence of it. Uh, Tony is legitimately crazy. He reminds me of what I read about Capone, where you could be calm one minute, like. And who's the muscle guy who was his his uh, security? He just started beating him up for no reason. And I'm just like, wow, man. And uh, you know, he he changed so much so quickly. So he's so volatile that uh, it's very interesting to me. So. Um, I'm, I'm starting to get into the Sopranos. I'm trying to figure out why they're doing all the things that they're doing. Uh, you know, Junior, Uncle Junior is pretty interesting to me. He a snake too. Uh, but it's funny how all these people got these different sides to him, man. It makes for a, for a very intriguing show. 
But uh, I'm, I'm I'm working through the Sopranos, but uh, and I haven't gotten anywhere close to the end. You need to see, uh, if you don't mind period pieces. You need to see Boardwalk Empire. All right, everybody said that. I, I may pick that up next. That's, that's that's really good. I may pick that up next, but I you know I don't necessarily like period pieces. Yeah, but, but it's got uh, a lot of good acting in it. Even the smaller actors, yeah, it's it's, it's pretty good. All right, so you said Boardwalk Empire, and I was thinking Pinky Blinders. Peaky Blinders. Peaky. Peaky Blinders is good, too. Outstanding. Maybe I'll both knock them off at some point. Yeah. Peaky Blinders is probably, yeah, it's pretty good. You need to see uh, uh, Justified. All right, that's a lot of shows. I I just got a list. I'll, I'll yeah. get to them as I get to them. You got to cover everybody. It's a lot of other people listening besides you. It's, it's Justified is pretty good. Yeah, I think a lot of people agree with me. Peaky Blinders is pretty good. Uh, this, this, that's that gangster stuff that you talk about. Yeah. Going well, I like gangsters. Like yeah. I like gangsters. Yeah. So we'll see. All right. That's our trip around the block this week. Uh, let's, uh, let's wrap it up with a real quick uh, thought on the Cowboys. Uh, I think it's going to be an intriguing game. Uh, they've been playing some some bad teams lately. Uh, Washington was a little bit better. Uh, I think Seattle presents some challenges. Uh, we know Pete Carroll's a really good coach. Uh, we know defensively they're going to bring some certain things. And uh, I don't think, though, that Geno Smith will be able – Geno Smith just having an okay season. And uh, I don't think he'll be able to get it done against the Cowboys. They play, they play with so much confidence at home. Uh, that I see them, I think it'll be a little bit like last week, slow start, and then I see them pulling away at the end. Uh, they figured out the offense. Uh, they're getting Cooks involved now. I think they really know what they want to do on offense. There's two weeks in a row we've seen a good version of Tony Pollard. He looks much more like last year's version uh, the last couple of weeks. And so I think I see this game going Dallas, especially at the crib, something like uh, 31-20. I think we get a chance to beat a team with a winning record. But guess what? What? If you beat them, they're not going to have a winning record. Okay. <laughs> but, you, but I'm just saying, they got a winning record, right? Yeah. All right, so we get a chance to beat somebody over 500. As a matter of fact, we get a chance to mollywop somebody over 500. I don't think Geno got a chance against the Cowboys pass rush or against the Cowboys defense. So I think the Cowboys going to whoop them too. I ain't got a score, but I think they're going right. to beat them pretty bad. All right, uh, I got thirty-one twenty. Big Joe and Big Rick says they're gonna molly whop them and beat them pretty bad. Uh, y'all translate that. That sounds like forty to seventeen to me. Uh, All right, then. <laughs> it's possible they do that at home, but like I said, it's it's, it's a time to say, "All right, look, you guys over five hundred. We've been killing people under five hundred. This is our chance to really show people that we can do something." So. And uh, I'm going to work on uh, seeing if we can get Big Joe to Big Rig a jam session bowl somehow, some way. Oh, you're uh, back on that again, huh? Hey, we're going to try, man. We're going to keep trying till we get it done. Uh, we want to always thank uh, Grinning Law for their support. Uh, check them out at grinninglaw.com. And uh, until we chat again, you guys be blessed.